guys could have given me a better day. And uh, we had we had a day like this in Ohio. Uh, it was June 6. It was 1995. It's a, I love coming out here to Colorado. I really do. Um, it's a, probably the, the state I've gone to the most of any state I've ever been to outside of uh, my hometown, uh, my home state of Ohio. Um, probably been out here nine or ten times. I love the mountains. I can remember the first time I came out to Colorado. Uh, I was probably about 19 years old. I was in a 1968 uh, Buick Skylark and I was riding with my best buddy from college and we took the summer off and we headed west. And I had never been west. I'd never been west of uh, Michigan, I think, at that age. And um, we were driving out and we're coming across this stark country and this flat land and we saw this horizon with these uh, ridges. And we got our cameras out and we started taking pictures. And then we drove another three hours. And they were a little bigger, and they, and they were these beautiful mountains, and we were taking all these pictures. We must have had 50 pictures by now. And then we drove another three hours. And I don't know, if you, if you drive into Colorado from Kansas and you're coming across there, you haven't seen anything for a long time and start to see these mountains for the first time. It really grabs you. I remember going up in the... Uh, going up into the uh, Aspens, we were on some road, a Route 50 or something, some dirt road, and uh, the loggers are the only ones that have been across there, and we, we went up there in the spring, there was still snow, and we're up in the Aspen trees, and you couldn't believe this, it was so beautiful, um, I really felt uh, moved, and I was up there and, and with my best friend, and everything was great, and then we, we locked our keys in the car. <laughs> We had to break the window a couple of days out on our trip to get into the car, but uh, learned how to ski here and uh, had a lot of great time in Colorado. And uh, it's really my honor and my privilege to, to speak to this group of people today and share um, share a little bit about my life. Uh, I am a lawyer, so you know this comes with a disclaimer, um, big bold disclaimer. I'm not a public speaker, so if you not often start going to sleep. That's okay. I'm not a great sports uh, athlete, so if this doesn't excite you too much, that's okay too. Um, but I do want to share with you uh, the greatest adventure of my life uh, and some personal things, some of which I would rather not share, but I think probably tell a little bit of who I am. The first time I have ever did one of these things, somebody said it's like uh, you're in a room full of people and you go to the front and you're the only one that doesn't have your clothes on. So uh, be, be merciful with me here as I, as I share this with you. Um, as I was announced, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I actually grew up in a little town called Oberlin, which is just west of Cleveland. And I grew up on a 20-acre tree farm there with my, uh, my mom and my dad and my three sisters. And it uh, pretty much was a a normal childhood, uh, probably similar to most of the guys in this room. My dad was uh, a very tough, hard-working bulldozer operator, uh, worked uh, all the time, never really saw him too much when I was growing up, and so my mother raised me and my three sisters pretty much. And, uh, we, went to, uh, we went to church when we were little kids. My mother and my grandmother would take us to a church down the street 
little white church, and uh, I can remember hearing stories about Jesus and uh, these Bible stories, and we went all the time. And about age 12, I went through a, a thing called confirmation, and I, I went to the front of this little church, and they handed me a Bible, and I took it, and I walked out the back of the church, and I did not go into a church for 20 years. I, um, I walked away from whatever this religion thing was, what this God was supposed to be about, uh, if there was really a God. He really, I couldn't see what he had to do with my life. And I was going to go and I was going to pursue life at age 12 the way I thought it was going to be pursued. And so I started to do that. Um, and I walked out and I, and I started to, to pursue this plan that I had at a, at a young age. You know, at age 12 or 13, I don't know if any of you have young boys, I've got one who's 12. They know it all. And I knew it all at age 12. And um, I was pretty successful at the game of life. Of course, it's not a game, but to me it was a big game. And so I started to pursue the things that I thought were important. And to me that was uh, sports, athletics, girls, fun. Um, and so I got involved in athletics and I was a wrestler and I played football and I was the defensive team captain and we had great high school sports teams, uh, it's all conference. Um, I, I learned early on that somehow there was something about these grades that were important. You needed to do well in school because if you were going to succeed in life you had to get a good education and I could see, I was smart enough to see that the guys that were driving the nice cars and wearing the good suits uh, had an education and the guys that were had the tougher jobs and were struggling uh, didn't. So I decided I would do well in school and I did. I graduated at the top of my class in high school, went on to college, uh, Wittenberg University, a small liberal arts school in Ohio, uh, played four years of football there. I was on uh, a team that lost five football games in four years. We were a Division three school. We went to two national championships. We lost both. That was kind of tough. Um, I was a defensive captain, and I was all-conference. Um, graduated at the top of my class from uh, Wittenberg University. Did real well there. And so I uh, had places to go for law school. By the way, at age, uh, back up for a second, at age 16, I decided I'd be a lawyer. I didn't know a lawyer, just decided I'd be one. So I set out to do that. I also decided at age 16 I would marry Kathy. And you'll see that that happened too. So my plan was going pretty good. I mean, I was just uh, trucking through life and it being pretty successful what I was doing. Um, I like to tell a story about college. In addition to all the fun we had in college, which I won't tell any stories about, there's three things that, uh, that always stick out in my mind. I had a friend, my very best friend, his name was Joe. He had a picture of Jesus. And I'll never forget it. He just had this picture, and it just was always there. And then I, I also have a memory of the fact that we would always kneel down and we'd pray the Lord's Prayer before every football game, except I wouldn't. I, uh, I didn't want to be a hypocrite, and I didn't believe in this God that they were praying to. So I, I wouldn't kneel down and I wouldn't pray the prayer with my teammates. I don't know how many of them believed it, but they prayed anyway, and I just would stand off to the side 
and I would go out and I'd play for myself. And um, the other thing was this guy named Bill came up to me one day on campus, and he was uh, with a group that was called Youth for Christ, and we, we got into a discussion, a debate. And I was on my way to being a lawyer, so I said, a debate, this is great. I'll debate this guy. And we went back and forth and back and forth about this character he was trying to talk to me about named Jesus, and I, I really took him down. And I really, um, I really uh, told him what a fool he was and how this was a major hoax. And I remember that I walked away from that uh, conversation with that guy with this great sense of uh, victory. And I often wonder about where that guy is today. Like I said, at age 16, I decided I would marry my high school sweetheart, Kathy Schubert. And uh, so at the end of uh, my undergraduate schooling, I did marry Kathy. And we headed off to law school in Winston-Salem, North Carolina to go to Wake Forest. Um, and I did well again. <laughs> I didn't work all that hard, but for whatever it was, I had a knack for uh, what it took to get good grades. I graduated second in my class at Wake Forest University out of 162 uh, law students in my graduating class. And that was good because that allowed me to land that job that I had been pursuing really since about age 16. And I got offers from a lot of law firms, and so I took the one that offered the most money. It would be consistent with my lifestyle. And so I went to uh, work at a law firm called Baker & Hostetler, where I still work today. Uh, I moved Kath up to Cleveland, which was our, really our homecoming. And we, um, we started to pursue the things that a family life is about. We bought a house. I started working real hard at Baker & Hostetler. We started to have children. Uh, it wasn't too long we had our first uh, boy, Jason, and shortly after that, our second boy, uh, Joe, was born. And um, I just, uh, I couldn't, uh, had to come out any better. I couldn't, the plan was so good, I couldn't believe how well it was going. I was, uh, I was succeeding in all these areas of my life. And then I had another encounter with a neighbor uh, next door. His name was Tom. And it's another one of those stories that you forget about and then they come back to you later. I was in the backyard, we were raking leaves together, and, he, and we got in a discussion about God. And he looked at me and he said, um, do you believe in God? I said, no. Pray not. He said, uh, he asked me this question. He said, what do you think is going to happen to you if the windows blow out of your 32nd story office tower in your office and you get sucked out? What would happen to you? And I, and I just, I remember, I just started laughing at this guy. I said, you know, what a stupid question this is. As the windows have never blown out of the building. That's not going to happen. And uh, if it happened, you would hit the pavement and you'd be dead. You know, what's the point? And I walked away from that discussion and uh, really didn't think too much about it. Till later, till later on. This brings me up to uh, 1989. I went on a business trip with uh, one of my bosses, his name is Paul, and we went down to Sarasota, I do commercial real estate work, and I went down to Sarasota, Florida, and we are going to sell a shopping center for a guy down there, 
and we're doing the deal and it's complicated and all these players and everything. But there was a moment when we had some time and I went out to uh, have dinner with this guy. Now, I knew this guy very well. In fact, he's the guy that hired me. And this guy's life had, it was a mess. It had been a total mess. And I was carrying this guy at the office. I was doing his work. And I was getting things done for him. And it was just a mess. And then, we go, and then something happened. He got better. He got better. And, and I didn't really know what the story was. So we went out to dinner. So I posed the question. And I said, Paul, what, uh, what happened in your life? How did, how did you get better? You were such a mess. And he said, yeah, I was a mess. He said, uh, I was an alcoholic. And I had some other problems. And, and uh, I... Um, I went to get help, and in finding help, I uh, turned to God. And in the process of finding out about this God, I, I became a Christian. And I looked at him, and I, I could not deny the fact that this guy had totally changed. He had gone from this real mess to really being this responsible lawyer again at Baker and Hospital, doing these major deals. And I just looked at him, and I said, that's interesting. And I walked away from that. But it didn't have any change on my life. It didn't impact me to where I would consider what would that mean to me personally. I, uh, I didn't have the mess he had in his life. I hadn't hit rock bottom. In fact, I had everything I had planned to get. Everything was going really well here. And so I didn't think that if this was some God that you had to have as a crutch in your life that I needed, that I needed this God. So even if he did exist, which maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know what difference that should make to me. But I didn't forget about that either. Because um, in August of 1990, I, uh, I walked into my bathroom and I'll never forget, for some reason, while everything was going perfect, I found myself looking in my bathroom mirror, asking myself, what the heck am I doing here? I couldn't get past this question. I was just as if it was talking to you guys right now, looking, having a conversation with myself about what was my purpose? What was I doing in life? What did this all mean? Um, I really felt a sense of emptiness. I felt a, uh, a hole. I felt like I got sucked out of the 32nd window, second floor window, and I was falling, and I didn't know what was going to happen. That's what I felt like. And it started me to think about life. And I, I have a ro there's a quote that was found by archaeologists on a Roman tomb that really summed up my philosophy of life at this point in time. It says, I was not, and then I was born. Now I am not, and I care not. You're born, you live, you die. That was my philosophy. So you get what you can get out of life, and enjoy it as much as you can, and get as much of it as you can get. Because in the end, it's over. But I could not get past this discussion I had with myself in the mirror. Was that true? I later found uh, out later in my life that the Bible had something to say on this. A guy named Solomon in the Old Testament said thousands of years ago, meaningless, meaningless, 
utterly meaningless with life apart from God. And I didn't understand it then, but I was starting to get the picture. And it started me to, uh, to search. It started me on a quest. And I turned at that same point in that bathroom when I asked myself this question to my wife, Kathy, and I said to her, let's go to church. <laughs> now, after she got off the floor, okay? After she got up off the floor, she said, that's a great idea, let's go. And in the fall of 1990, we picked a church out of a phone book. It's actually the one we drove by the most on the street main corner. And we started to go. We started to attend church. And I can remember thinking, this is going to be good for my children. I'll, I'll get them. This will be morally right. And I'll take them here and you know, let them be exposed to this. I don't really believe it. But what the heck, let's go check it out. So we went. And I walked into that church, and I'll tell you, there was, a, there was a feeling there that was different than anything I'd experienced in my life. There was, a, there was, this, there was this, it was love. And I didn't know what that really was. Um, and so we liked it, and we kept going back. And in the spring of 1991, I started to attend a Bible study that was going on at this church. And um, I, being a lawyer, I have this one strong sense of desire to learn, and um, and I'm trained to read. And I and I said, you know, they got this thing. They got this book, you know, and they say this is what they believe. You're a smart man. Why don't you read it? Why don't you pull the thing out and read and see what it says? So I'm going. To, I start going to the Bible study and I start to read the book. And over the course of 1991, I read the whole book from beginning then. I didn't know any other way to read it, so I just read it from the first page to the last page. Um, and it, I, didn't, I can't tell you I believe everything that it said, but I believe the parts of it. And as more and more I read, the more and more it fit together. As a lawyer and as a thinking man, I couldn't, I was looking for the holes. I, was, I didn't have a bad attitude about it, but I didn't have a good attitude, but I'm just reading it looking for the holes in this deal. Where, where are the holes? I couldn't find them. I couldn't find the holes. And I got to the end of the book, and I got to the end of the year, and I started to believe this is true. Now, that's a miracle, I have to tell you. At the same time this was going on, someone told me that I should pray. And uh, they said, don't even worry about it if God's real or not. You just pretend he is and start talking to him. And uh, so I took that advice. And I started talking to God, if you're there, God. And I started to pray. There's a, uh, a quote that the AAs have, the Alcoholics Anonymous, that I think applied to my, um, my attitude about God. There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Contempt prior to investigation. And I had a contempt for the things of religion. I had a contempt for the things of God. And uh, it had created a wall that I had built on for 20 years that kept me from pursuing this investigation. 
And when I started to pursue it and got past some of the contempt, then it was different and things started to happen in my life. Same time this was going on, my, uh, my grandfather died of uh, Alzheimer's, a slow death. Uh, my grandmother died of uh, an unexpected heart attack. And I'd never faced death. I'd never faced death in my life. I, I was always distant from it. I had, was a generation away from it. And, and now it was starting to come into my life. And I had, to, I had to deal with the fact that this was real, that they were gone and that they had died. And I was 32 years old before I understood I was going to die, before I really understood my mortality. 32 years old. I know that's hard to believe. Maybe some of you are like that. I don't know. But that's when it really hit me for the first time. So at the end of 1991, I had come to an intellectual belief, an investigative, legal investigation of this Christianity in this, in this book. And intellectually had believed that it was true. I was not a Christian. I want you to know that. I'd gone to church for quite a while. Um, I was going every Sunday. I'd read the whole Bible. And I intellectually saw how it fit together. But I was not yet a Christian. And I'll explain that in a minute. At that point in time, God was very uh, gracious to me. He brought into my life a lot of different individuals from different walks. There was this boss I had who was a, a believer, and he continued to share with me. Uh, there was this little secretary who was teaching this Bible study, and she was not a good teacher. It was boring. I mean, I had great professors, and she was not good. But I'll tell you what she did. She believed, and it had an impact on her. She believed what she was teaching. And I started to go to another thing that was happening in downtown Cleveland where a minister had kind of brought his ministry into the business community and was really sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was teaching out of the Bible in a way that I hadn't really paid attention to. And he was teaching from Ephesians chapter 2. And he was talking about um, being saved by grace through faith. That it wasn't something I could generate. That it was this gift that God gave and that you had to just receive it. There was not any works, and it didn't matter that I was going to church. Now, it wasn't important to go to church. It was, and it was part of what was happening in my life, but that this issue of becoming a Christian had to do with accepting this gift from God, and that was really a revelation to me, and then at just the right time, I went to something like this. It was a prayer breakfast. It was a little bigger. There were about a thousand people there. Uh, it was May 8, 1992, and a man from Denver, Colorado, came all the way to Cleveland to share his story, like I'm sharing with you. His name was Adolph Coors from Coors Brewery. And Adolph Coors talked about a prideful man running from God. And I'm sitting out there, and there are a thousand men and women, and I'm right in the middle, and it's like he's staring at me. And he is um, he's presenting it like a businessman in a way I'd never really heard it. And he made it real simple and clear. He said, God says in the Bible, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He says in the Bible, the wages of sin is death. 
the wages of sin is death. Now I was waiting for the good part because I knew that I was part of all and I could see that this was not a good deal and death was something I had not dealt with in my life. He said, but there's good news. The gift of God is eternal life. And he said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He didn't say it. God says it in the Bible. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I had read those words, and I intellectually believed it, and I saw how it fit together, but I hadn't accepted it. And then he said this, and this is the part that I hadn't done. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I had to sit there, and I had to, I had to come to grips with the fact that I had never done that in my life. And so, faced with the fact that I was a sinner, faced with the fact that God said I deserved death, I was looking at this gift, and I said, that's a deal for me. And he, um, he offered up a simple prayer, one that I'm going to do at the end of this, for anybody in this room that's interested, to surrender your life to God, to Jesus Christ, and in the middle of that room of a thousand people, I put my head down and I prayed a simple prayer. And that was when I became a Christian. And it was a new deal. And I walked out of there a new man. I was forgiven. And I understood what it meant. And I could see that I had this new opportunity in life. It says in... Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And I could see there was a chance for a new life because of Jesus Christ and because of this decision. It was a, it was a, a path, and it took a while to get there from that point in time when I looked in the mirror to ask those questions about what was I doing here, what was this about, what is life about, um, to that point in time when God gave me the answers to those questions. Those are not unique to me. Um, those are available to all God's creation, each and every one of us. A little bit about after uh, I made that decision, briefly. Um, <laughs> I went home. And I didn't tell anybody about this, by the way. Um, I didn't, didn't check any cards, and I didn't tell anybody. Kind of still prideful. I didn't even tell my wife until about two months later. We were laying in bed one night, and, and Kath turned to me, and we were talking, and, I, and I, I just felt this need to share with her what I had done. So I turned to her, and I said, you know, if anybody, don't do this. Okay, I just want to tell you. I turned to her, and I said, I love you. <laughs> that is that is not the right thing to tell your wife. Okay, don't don't do it that way. And she was pretty cold, and she was wondering who she was. And um, I said, but don't worry, it's a man. And that didn't help either. <laughs> and uh, I shared with her this decision to uh, to make God first in my life, but that I loved her more than. Uh, I'd ever loved it before. 
It says in uh, Ephesians 5.25, it says to husbands, Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I had not understood love until I met God Jesus Christ. The unconditional love that we're called to as husbands in our relationship with our wives. About um, two months after that, my wife became a Christian. And we got a new marriage. And that is an incredible blessing in my life. I share with you a little bit about my dad. He was, uh, he is, he still is, a real tough guy, a hard-working, hard-driving man. He, um, he, uh, I didn't know how to relate to him, but I knew that the Bible said that I should honor my mother and father. So I had to ask what that looked like. So I went to my dad, and I said something to my dad that I had never said. I told him that I loved him. And I uh, shared with him what had happened in my life. Um, and he listened. And, and that was good. And it changed our relationship. About a year later, he uh, was threatened with, uh, had life-threatening uh, surgery to remove a tumor from his brain. And I had the absolute privilege to sit with that uh, gnarly old guy and uh, his pastor, my mother, and uh, watching pray to receive Christ. And um, that was a huge blessing in my life. Um, friends. I had a concept that uh, you should have as few friends as possible. <laughs> I don't recommend that to anybody either. I had, uh, you know, I would have a, a limit of five. And really, I'd really try to keep it to two because you might want to leave some room in case some really nice guys come along. But you didn't want to have too many friends because if you had too many friends, they would like they would ask you for money or they would expect something from you or else they would die and then you feel bad about that. So I, uh, I really had this sick idea that you really needed to be a loner in life. And I lived my life that way. That all changed. That truly changed. And uh, the Bible says, no greater love has one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And I have some Christian brothers, and a number of them are in this room, that lay down their life for me. And uh, I do the same for them. And uh, to, to go into all the relationships and friends that I have uh, because of what this decision did in my life, uh, that would take definitely the rest of the, uh, rest of the time. One last quick story. Um, and I share it with you uh, not to alarm anybody but I just share it because uh, it just becomes so evident to me as I think about my father-in-law how uh, no one knows the time or place that they're going to face each other my father-in-law lived his life pretty much the way I'd lived it my whole life up until that decision And he was going to die, and he was in the hospital. And um, my mother-in-law took to him this message that I'm sharing with you today of this opportunity to receive Christ as his Savior. And uh, he prayed to receive Christ, and two weeks later he died. Only God knows a man's heart. But um, no one in this room knows whether they have a day, a month, a year. 20 years. Um, but that was, uh, that's how long he had. And I'm thankful for that as well.
I, uh, I was meeting with Joe and I told him I'd share how long eternity was. Then I tell you, I, I, we got into a discussion about eternity. So I want to share one little thing. I was driving through, uh, I was going down to Florida with my family on a vacation. And this was a couple years ago and I'm driving through Georgia and the rain is pouring down and my family's all asleep and I've got the radio and I'm flipping channels and I hear this fire and brimstone preacher. It's pretty good and I'm listening to it. But aside from the sermon, he gets to the end and he tells this little story about uh, one of the young men in the church came to him and he said, um, says, Pastor, I have got to know how long is eternity? And the pastor said, why? I can't answer that question for you, son. He said, eternity is forever. He goes, no, I got to know how, this is a southern guy, so he said, I got to know how long is eternity? And uh, the pastor said, why? Well, I, I really can't tell you, but let me give you a picture. He says, imagine a granite rock that is 200 yards wide and 100 yards high. He said, then imagine a little teeny bird comes around with a little teeny beak and he pecks at that rock one time a year. He said, now son, when that rock is all dust, one second of eternity will pass. And, it, and the boy said to the pastor, I think I understand. I think I understand. That is uh, the Christian message that uh, everything we do, including a decision, to give your life to God affects all that time called eternity. I uh, I got to tell you that uh, on May 8, 1992, there was nothing really special about that day, and there was nothing really all that special about Adolf Kors' message, except it spoke to my heart. I had uh, heard lots of sermons, and I had heard a lot of stories of Jesus, and I'd heard the gospel, the good news, uh, and I had let it go in one ear and out the other. And I would encourage you that um, if you have never done that in your life, if you have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, or if you're uncertain of where you stand, and if you feel as if there's a void in your heart, um, that only God can fill, I can tell you. All the things you may be pursuing will not fill that void. It's shaped like God, and only God will fill it. Then I'm going to encourage you to uh, bow your head with me and uh, pray that simple prayer, similar to the one I prayed, similar to the one uh, my father-in-law, Paul, prayed, my dad. Nothing special about the words. It's your heart and, uh, and how you feel about uh, making this decision today of surrendering your life. Uh, but to pray a simple prayer with me, silently, with your heads all bowed, um, to surrender and to give your life to God. So if you would, please, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe Christ died for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sins. I now invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart, soul, mind, and life as my personal Savior. 
I'm willing, by God's grace, to follow and obey Christ as the Lord of my life. Amen. Um, you can uh, you can have some assurance. You can have assurance of your salvation through Jesus Christ. It says in the Bible that uh, that uh, God has given us His Son. That whoever believes in Him, they know that they have eternal life. And if you made that decision today. It's a new beginning for you. You may not know what that all means, but I can guarantee you there are guys in this room that want to help you with that. They want to uh, be there for you and to, uh, help you understand what it's about and help you grow. Um, so, in connection with that, there is a, uh, a card on each table. There should be a pile of these yellow cards. Are they yellow or... <coughs> And uh, you won't get on, I don't think you'll get on any mailing lists unless you check a mailing.